number four, if you will, this morning. We're going to continue on and kind of really just this morning wrap up God's answer here to to Satan's church. And we're going to do it in a a manner here that uh, we've been talking about. Now, this isn't every answer. This is only just kind of where we're at. We've been looking here at Ephesians 4, verse number 9 and 10. The parenthesis here comes out of verse 8, Wherefore he saith, When he, and that's be Christ, ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And we've looked at that and we've studied out the, the leading captivity captive and who that is and, and what he's doing and how he's doing it. Then in verse 9 and 10, in the parenthesis, he explains the, the mechanics of, of how when he ascended up on high, that gave him the authority, the right, the ability to then give, lead captivity captive and give gifts unto men. In verse 9, now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens. Why? That he might fill all things. And this morning in this kind of, in in what we're looking at, we'll look at some more in the future. The answer here, I've titled this The Great Descent, because what does he do? First, he has to, if he's going to ascend, Verse 9, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? And as Paul begins to talk about the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he can fill all things and that he ascended far above all heavens. In order to ascend, first he had to descend. And in that descension is what allows him uh, to then be and have the exaltation. Come back with me to Deuteronomy 32. And again, we saw last time uh, the issue about him descending into the lower parts of the earth. And we saw how some will use that to say that he descended into the torment side of hell. And we prove that, I hope, that that's not what he did. If he did that, then he's a liar, because on the cross he said, today you'll be with me in paradise, to the thief on the cross, one of the malefactors. So we'll take him at his word, that that's where he went. Scripture never says that he dies and goes to the torment side of hell. Scripture does talk about him dying and going to Abraham's bosom, paradise side of hell. And we we hammered that out as well last time. And what I would like to do, just kind of pick up on that lower parts of hell, the lower parts of the earth issue, and then hammer down through the descent this morning. And uh, that's why your handout, if you get the handout, you got so many notes. We're not going to hit every verse, but we probably will anyway. Deuteronomy 32, if you look here at verse 22, Deuteronomy 32, actually 31, 32, 33 is the national anthem of the, the nation of Israel. Here's the song of Moses. He's about to die. They're about ready to go into the land of milk and honey. They're ready to go in. And he's, he's literally, by the way, literally here in Deuteronomy 32 is where he writes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He stops, he sits, he writes the history for them here as they are going to go into the land. And he says in verse 22, For a fire is kindled in my anger, and shall burn unto the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundation of the mountains. Now, when the Lord returns, and the fire goes out before him, 2 Thessalonians 1, and that flame of vengeance, what is it going to do in verse 22? It's going to burn to the lowest parts of hell, to into the lowest hell. So in hell, there are different levels Within hell, you have the bottomless pit. You've got all these different components of hell. You've got Gehenna, where that that where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched idea. You got these different components. So when Paul talks about he descended into the lower parts of the earth, he doesn't say the lower parts of hell. Go back look back there real quickly at Ephesians 4. Because what happens is is 
in our excitement to say something that we don't think has ever been said before. And that's the first error right there. Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. When you think you've developed something new, be very careful to call it new. <laughs> because somebody somewhere has already thought about it. And it usually sits in those ancient father's writings somewhere where that's been discussed. If you look at Ephesians 4.9, it says, first, descended first into the lower parts of the earth. Now, that passage, that phrase is used three times in Scripture. It's used there in Philip Ephesians 4. And come over with me to Psalms 63. Psalms 63. It's used in that manner there, the lowest, the lower parts of the earth. And again, we, we talked last time about how he goes into paradise, into that component in Abraham's bosom. He doesn't go into the torments. Because you can look at that phrase several different ways. And I'll be honest with you, all three, all of these different ways are okay. As long as you don't say he's going into the torment side. Then we got a problem, okay? But when you look at that issue about the lower parts of the earth, and Psalm 63, look here at verse 8. Now, this is a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So we're in 1 Samuel 22 to 26 when he's out there. Verse 8, David writes, My soul falleth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it. So what do they want to do to David? They want to kill him. Okay? Shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. So there, David, talking about the lower parts of the earth, connected to them going into the grave. Okay? Them being killed. And what happens? Their bodies deposited in the dirt, in the grave. Their soul then goes down into... So you can use that, come over to Numbers 16. It's legitimate to use the lower parts of the earth as an issue of not only going into paradise, number 16, but also about the grave, talking about that as... Because, by the way, what, when you dig a grave, how deep do you go? Six feet under, right? You know, another day in debt. Six feet, okay? Owe my soul to the country store. Count, or company store, sorry, get it right, Rick. But so, and, and literally they go deeper than that nowadays due to regulations. Number 16, look if you will here at verse 31, 1631. And it, shall, and it came to pass as he had made an end of speaking all these words that the ground clave asunder and was under them. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses. And all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods, they and all that appertaineth to them went down alive into the what? Oh, now, that, now that's more than the grave, isn't it? <laughs> There's a component in hell because this is Korah and... Uh, um, um, Dathan, they offer the strange fire. I had to get the story, okay? All right, and Abiah, okay? So what happened? What, the earth opened up, and they went into the lower parts of, they went down alive into the pit, and the earth closed upon them, and they perished from among the congregation. So you have the sons here of Korah doing this, and they're talking about the grave. Now come over to Isaiah 44. I'll give you one more here. Isaiah 44. I'm going to tell you, I don't believe that that's what Ephesians 4 is talking about. I don't believe he's talking about him descending into the lower parts of the earth, as in going down into paradise side of hell. I don't believe he's talking about he was buried in a, in a grave, in a tomb. Isaiah 44, in verse 23, here's the other place this issue of the lower parts of the earth is used. He says, Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. Shout, ye lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, ye mountains, O forest and every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. The lower parts there is, is compared to the who? The higher parts, the mountains. 
So you have the other, pla- the other levels on the earth, all those different parts of the earth. Don't let the, high- don't let the higher parts be the only ones singing and shouting glory to the Lord. You lower parts down here, get on with it. The mountaintops and the valleys. But yet, how does he say it? The lower parts of the earth. So now come over to Psalms 139. Psalms 139. So for me... Ephesians 4, when he talks about him descending first into the lower parts of the earth, he's really not talking about descending down into paradise, into hell. It's okay to say that. He's not talking about the grave. It's okay to say that. And he's really not talking about the different levels of the earth. And again, it's okay to say that that's what it is. So then what is he talking about when he says he first must descend? Well, Psalms 139, here you have the book of DNA that David begins to talk about and to tell us about. Verse 13, for thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. We use that you're wonderfully and fearfully made, as in our bodies fixing themselves. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about in conception. He's talking about being in his mother's womb. My substance, verse 15, was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in uh, continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. What's he saying? Hey, God has a book of DNA out there for all of humanity, for the different souls that have walked this earth. And David says, when my mom and dad conceived me in in secret, I love, why? Because it's a secret event. Life starts at conception. And when that happens, all of my future figures and members were already laid out in that book. And you know where we're at? We're in, curiously wrought, in the lowest parts of the earth. That ought to bring into your mind Genesis 2. Flip over there and verse 7. Genesis 2 and verse 7. I was going to do this. I didn't do this. But... Genesis 2, verse 7. You ought to Google how much dirt is worth. Because what did God make man out of? Dirt. The lowest parts of the earth. 2, 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That component that Satan didn't see happen. He saw, he sees God create man, take man. I, 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 you know, over there in the, in, in, the, in the Gospels, the Lord will spit on his hands and do a little rubbing and then heal somebody. And everybody go, oh, he's spitting, what's that? Well, there's a picture there of what? Of life, of the life giving. And he spits in his hands, does a little rub, picks up the dirt. You know how when you play baseball or something, you're on the ball field or the football, and you just get your hands rubbed in there in the dirt. You know, my mom used to say, quit doing that. And then we did it some more, you know. It's like, hey, tell me don't. I'm going to do it again. And he, that's what he did. He picked up a scoop and he formed a man. And that's what the adversary saw. The adversary saw this, this form, this creature, the likeness of God, then the image of man. Here he is, God's man. And, but he missed the inner soul issue. But where did God pick up man out of? He formed him out of the dust of the ground, the lowest parts of the earth, just dirt. What comes up underneath your feet, you walk on it, there it is. So when you come back to Ephesians 4, I don't want to miss the fact that that phrase, the lower parts of the earth, is used in connection to other things, and it's okay to say that, but when Christ descended, he didn't descend just to that. He descended to come down here and to become man. Think about what he did. He descended. He left heaven's glory. 
He was made of a woman. He comes and he lives out through Mary. And he's born right on time, right when he's supposed to be. That's what Galatians 4 is so wonderful. When he says how Paul writes it there. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Made, on, made of a woman. How? Joseph wasn't his dad. Okay? Mary's his mom. The Holy Spirit, the father. The father's his dad. There he is. Boom. And he's... He descends to do something, to accomplish something. And that's what we need to see. And again, if you want to say that he descended to here to do that, then really we're talking about the whole trip then. Because he descended so that he could do what? Ascend far above. So there's a process here. There's a trip here. The descent of the whole of him stepping out of heaven's glory and coming and being a man and identifying with humanity, doing for man what man could not do for himself because he fell. He's a sinner. That's why there's only two men in the Bible, Adam and God and Jesus Christ. And in Adam, what happens to man? All die. And in Christ, what happens? All live. So you got this great cosmic cosmic thing happening here and the whole trip is what Paul is referring to in Ephesians 4, 9, and 10. Not just a part of it. By the way, did the Lord go to the grave? Yeah, he did. But he then what? Rose. It didn't hold him. Did he go down into hell, into the paradise side, Abraham's bosom? Yeah, he did. But it doesn't hold him. He's re- so it's just the pieces of it. And I'd like you to see the whole of it. Come over to Philippians Chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And I I just want to spend the the half hour with you just looking at the great descent and then the great exaltation. Because what you see here is you see a sevenfold descent of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see an immediate exaltation by the Father. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Boy, what a, here's the mindset of the Son of God. Here's the mindset of your Savior, your Redeemer, your head. Here's how the head, here's how your head thinks. What should you be doing? Thinking the same way. Here's how, here's how the, the third member, the second member of the Godhead thinks. How does he think? Verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. How does the Godhead think? There's no strife. There's no one-upness. There's no arguing. There's not. There's what? Rather, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on the things of on his own things, but every man also on the things of other. How does the Godhead function? The Godhead functions for each other. They're not looking to be best or better or worst. They're not looking to be superior or inferior. They're looking for the betterment of the other. And this thinking, let this mind be in you which was Christ. This thinking, the original grace thinker, he's been called here. It's what you see as the motivating. It's what motivated Christ to come and to do what he did and so he could have his life live out through your life as a member of the body of Christ. And he says, so here's my mindset. Here's how I thought about this. Here's how I calculated out what it needed to be done. Verse 6. Who? You? Now who? Christ Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wow, look at that. That's a loaded thing, isn't it? That's a loaded gun right there. Look at all of the detail. Before the foundation of the world, he had a mindset. There was a plan. There was a purpose. There was, a, there was an intention that we're going to do here. There was intent. 
And he says, who being in the form of God, what's that next word? Thought. There's a, that's a mindset. That's a thinking process. What did he do? He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. You know what he did? He didn't sit there and calculate out the pros and the cons. Guess what? There were no cons. It was all pro. He doesn't sit there and say, well, you know what? If I do this, then that's going to impact them, so I'm going to do this. He didn't do any of that. You know what he said? He said, Father, you got the plan. Let's go work the plan. Let's go do what needs to be done. He's, who is he? He's God, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What's John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's no problem with him being God. Jesus Christ doesn't take anything away from the Father or from the Holy Spirit for him to say, I am God. He thought it not robbery. I'm not robbing from them to say, I am God. So that's a great question. Well, the Godhead, it's so deep, I can't get my head around it. Baloney, you understand that? Look in this room. The best illustration that I could ever come up with and I've heard used is we are all called what? Human. We're human. We're humanity. We're the human race. And yet, look at all of the diversity here. Look at all the differences. We got 40-something different personalities. Oh, my goodness. Multi-personalities. Some of you got more than one. Okay? Then you crank up the kids, and now you got more than It's like, boy, boy, is right. But what are we? We're distinct, aren't we? But we all have the same ability to think the same emotional capacity. You know what? The Godhead's the same way. There's just three members that say, that make up the race called God, if you can say it that way, okay? The Godhead. That's who they are. And you know what Christ does? He looks over and he says, it's not robbery for me to say I am God. I can make that claim because who am I? I'm God. Isn't that wonderful? Okay. But, verse 7, don't miss the buts, always catch the buts. But, what did he thought it not robbery. He's thinking this through. And he says, but, he, what, made himself. And I think that's what gets missed in all of this, is he decided, his thinking, his mindset, to do all that was going to be asked of him to do by the, God, by the Father and, and by the Holy Spirit, he decided himself to go do. But he but made himself of no... Oh, well, look at reputation. What's his reputation? He's God. <laughs> He's the creator. John 1, 2 down through 5. He's, He's the one speaking it and doing it. He had, a great, he had a great reputation. He's equal with the Godhead. He's a member of that Godhead group. Man, what a reputation. He walks in and everybody shut up. Ooh, let's listen to him. You know, E.F. Hutton moves in the room. Everybody's quiet. You don't know who E.F. Hutton is. Think about Schwab and those guys. Okay? Charles Schwab, all right? He made himself. He made a choice in his will, in his thinking, to say, you know what, I know who I am. I'm God. But that's not what I'm going to go show off now. By the way, reputation, you show off your reputation. You put it on display. You stretch your stuff. And he says, I know who I am. I know as God, I can strut my stuff. But you know what? That's not what the will, that's not what the plan is. That's not what the will of the Father is. You know what the will of the Father is? That I take on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. I know what I have to go do. I willingly go and do it. And what am I doing? 
I'm going to be made, I, I'm going to be made in the form of. I, he's talking the form. What did God do with that dirt of the ground? He formed man. He did, what did he do? Two legs, two arms, a head, two ears, two mouths, three mouths, no, one mouth, a nose, eyes, hands, ten fingers, feet, ten. What did he do? He formed a visible manifestation, an outward manifestation. He shares all the glory of the Godhead. And he's now become the Godhead bodily. And now he's in an outward manifestation of the Godhead and his, in this thing. He took on the form of. That's critical. Don't miss that. That's so key. Because who is he? He's God. By the way, God's a spirit, isn't he? Okay? He's got light. He's got rainbow. He's got all. But here we have deity moving into humanity, don't we? Oh, man, the God-man. Yeah, just get over yourself. It's pretty easy. It's called the simplicity in Christ. But notice, he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to take on the form, not of man, but of a what? That's interesting, of a servant. That outward manifestation of being, obe- being a willing, obedient person to the plan, the will, the word of the Father. You know what he's not going to say? I'm God, and now it's going to do it my way. Rather, he says, I'm going to put myself in the position to say, not my will, but thy will be done. Not what I would, he says there in the garden, he says, guys, I could call to the Father and he would send the legions out there of the angels to to deliver me. That's not a problem. You know what the problem is? The next verse in Matthew there, he says, who's going to fulfill the scriptures? Ain't nobody out there that can do that but me. Why? Because I am God the Son. Peter, who do you guys say that I am? Who are you, Pete? You are Christ. The son of the living God. They know who he was, but they also knew him as who? Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I took on the form of a servant. He could have made the claim to be God, but the Godhead doesn't work that way. How do they work? Not striving, not vainglory. We work in a harmony here. What's the will of the Father? That's what we're going to go do. By the way, come back with me to Isaiah 42, quickly. Isaiah 42, and Isaiah 52, and Isaiah 53. Try to keep them all together. Just so you understand, whose servant is he? Isaiah 42, 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. 1 Peter, Matthew 3, Luke, the Gospels, you know who they say that is? That is God the Father talking about God the Son. So whose servant is he? The Father's servant. Isaiah 52. Quickly, Isaiah 52. Isaiah 52 and verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many as were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Who's that? Boy, a reference to Calvary, a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father's talking here, and who is he talking about? My servant. 53.1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? We're talking... Acts 8, Philip goes down there, talks to that Ethiopian, brings him here to Isaiah 53 and says, you know who he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And you know who he is? He's a servant. You're in 53 there. Look there at verse verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Come on over to 2 Corinthians 8. Jesus Christ, folks, was the servant 
of the Father. He says to the Father, 2 Corinthians 8, you know what I'm going to do, Father? I'm going to put myself, I'm going to take me, and I'm going to come and do thy will. I'm going to put myself in obedience to the will and the word of the Father. And you know what the Holy Spirit says? I'm going to do the same thing because we got a plan here, and let's work the plan. And just as the A-team used to say, I love it when a plan comes together. That's literally what's happening here. 2 Corinthians 8. And look at verse number 9. Look at his mindset. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he, notice, was rich. Doesn't say is rich. Doesn't say will be rich. Says what? Was rich. It's, he was this back here. He was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. What did he do? He leaves heaven's glory and descends down and takes on the form of a servant and is made in the likeness of men. He came down here and he partook of your huma of humanity that ye through his poverty might be rich. What does he do? Why does he do that? He's God. He could have said, nah, not today. I don't think so. No, he's, the Father says, no, here's the, here's the program. Here's the plan. Here's the purpose. And the Son says, I'm going to come and do that. So when you come back to Philippians 2, he took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The form, the form of, that outward expression, manifestation. But now he's in the what? He's in the likeness of men. So you've got this thing happening here. Romans 8, you know the verse, verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. He's sending his own son in the likeness of. He's looking over there. Come over to Hebrews 2. You got to think about that. He, why? Because he knows no sin. But he's got to take on the likeness of. He's not sin. Can't do that. He takes on the likeness of it. He puts on the uniform. Hebrews 2, look at verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Why? For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Notice that he's made a little lower than the angels. That's important here. Because what are the angels? Well, chapter 1, verse 14, talking about the angels, he says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? What are The angels are servants. He says, I took on the form of a servant, but I was made in the likeness of men. I went to the lowest denominator of servanthood. He says, I could have been the butler. But I'm the guy over here cleaning out the, the horse trouts and the horse barns. Actually, I'm the guy that's got to tote it off to the dump. I went where? He could have stopped along the way. He didn't just come to be a servant. What did, he chose the lower than the angels. He chose the lowest class of servanthood. Think about that. Why? So that he could taste death. For every man. That tells you about the angel's status. He couldn't do it as an angel. Angels don't die. They have a different end scenario. He had to die. So what does he do? He takes on the form of... Come back to Philippians 2. Hold on to Hebrews 2 there. Hold on to Hebrews 2. Catch the passage in Philippians 2. Philippians 2 verse 8 and being found and fashioned as a man. He humbled himself. Again, the humility here, he does it to himself. You've got to catch that. 
No one is doing. You remember in the garden, he tells the guys, they're going to come and get me, and I'm going to go and die. And Peter says, that ain't going to happen. So Judas shows up, and old Pete's got the one or two, he got the sword, and he's whacking the heads off of everybody. He comes near. And they say, he says, who are you looking for? And Judas says, or the captain of the guard says, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he, and he blows them all down. Remember that? He does it a couple times. You figure after a while they'd catch on not to say it. <laughs> and he does what? He came over and surrendered himself. They didn't take him. He went with them. Why? He's doing it. He says, the Father's given me the responsibility to lay my life down and to take it back. He's doing it. It's his thinking. It's his parameters working through. He's a man. He fashioned himself. Fashion show. Showing off who you are. Who is he? Well, he's God, but he's also man. Now go back to Hebrews 2 there. Hebrews 2, and watch verse 14, Hebrews 2, 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them. Notice that, partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same. He comes and he's fashioned. He takes part of your flesh. Verse 18. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. He's tempted in all points common to you and I, isn't he? Chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse number 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You see, he, those three ways over there, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the, the lust of the eyes, he was tempted in that. You go read it in Matthew and in Luke when the adversary comes up to get him. And, and you know, oh, I know what people say, oh, he didn't have the internet. No, but he sure enough had the lust of the flesh thrown at him. And you know what he did? As it is written, and he passed with flying colors. He doesn't fall. Why? Because he's God and he's sinless. He's just in the likeness of, that outward manifestation of. Likeness in flesh. He knew what it, was, what it was like to be you. You go read John 4, and he's weary, and he's tired, and he lays his head down. But in Isaiah 40, God doesn't get tired. God doesn't get weary. Well, wait a minute. He's God, yeah, but he's also man, isn't he? <laughs> and as a man, he took a little nap on the boat. Actually, he took several naps. I believe he believed in napping. So let's take a nap. <laughs> okay? All right? He understood that. Now go back to Philippians 2. He understood what it was to be you. Now think about the descent. Who is he? He's God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but what did he do? He came and became man. What a bummer. God, could you imagine stepping out of heaven's glory going, I got to be that? Now, he didn't say that, but that's how I would think about it. <laughs> he's not thinking, you know what he's thinking? They need a redeemer. They need a savior. And I'm the guy and I'm glad to do it. Oh, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, Hebrews 12. He goes, I, different mentality. Our mentality is, he died for you. Actually, you know what? He did die for you, and you ought to be happy for that. And you ought to be ecstatic about it. Now, verse 8. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Again, he willingly chose to do this. No one made him do it. No one twisted his arm. No one promised him anything. He gave up the right to defend himself. He gave up the right to make himself of reputation. He says, no, I'm going to choose to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Think about that. 
He says, the Father's will, the Father's plan, His word, is that I die for man, that I taste death for every man. And you know what I'm going to do? Oh, for the joy that's set before me, I'm doing it. Why? Because my Father needs it done. And all that my love and all that my honor and value and, and, and esteem for my Father says, I'm going to go do this for Him. So, I, so He did. Flip on here, flip back to Hebrews chapter 5. You were just there, sorry. Should have had you hold on to it. Hebrews 5, verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. You see, he had to learn. But he learned, yet learned he what? Obedience by the things which he so You see, the Godhead doesn't know what it is to die. They've always been. They always will be. They're the Alpha and the Omega. So what does he have to learn? What it is to die. But there's an obedience to this. Verse 9, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. And being made perfect, perfect how? in obedience, in obedience to the word and the will of the Father. What did he do? He became the author of eternal salvation unto all, the, uh, unto all them that, in Israel's program, obey him, called of God, a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. What did he do? Go back to Philippians 2. He comes in and he says, hey, I've, the, the plan calls for me to go die, to taste death for every man, to take care of what... Every man's in Adam. They're sinners. In me, they're going to have life. I'm going to give them eternal life. Romans 5. You with Romans 5? Okay. How do you get eternal life? you got to be in Christ. And I've got to go do that. So I'm going to be obedient to the word, the will of the Father. I'm going to go do this. But notice in 2.8, he became obedient unto death. That's wonderful. But then it goes even, even the death of the cross. That's not an honorable death. Galatians 3.13, cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. He went and suffered and died a cursed death. He went and did something that no one ever wanted to do. He says, sign me up. Give me two. No, just give me one. He only dies once. See? He's, Pilate sits there and goes, are you really him? He goes, yeah, that's what you say. So say ye. <laughs> you said that. He goes, hey, I'm the guy. I'm the one. Make your, make your choice. Israel says, his blood will be on our heads and, and a future generation's head. Now, you know what they say now? We didn't kill him. That's after the fact. Why? He's the one. But where did he go? He suffered a cursed death. He suffered in his soul your second death. He went, and where Romans 8, 31 and 32 talks about that God that spared not his son... Romans 8, 31, what shall we say then to these things of God before us? Who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Christ went and he died your second death. And it wasn't a pretty death. It wasn't a lovely, you know, ooh. it was a, Cursed death. You need to be, go back to Philippians 2. And because he did this, verse 9, wherefore, I love that, wherefore. Think about the mindset. 
Christ's mindset, verse 3, 2, 3, we're going to esteem others better than ourselves. I'm going to come and do what the Father's will says. The Holy Spirit's on board. says, I like the plan. They go, the plan, the Father says, son, you're going to go. You're going to walk. You're going to do this. You're going to die. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to resurrect you on the third day. We're going to write this all down over here. It's going to be a battle between you and the adversary in those three hours of darkness on the cross. You're going to claim it is finished, and the redemption plan for man will be finished. We're going to do that. You're going to do it. You're going to do what Adam failed to do in the garden. You're going to do that. And the son says, Adam, baby, babe, let's go play ball. Let's go. He goes, well, hang on a minute. We've got to get everybody in line. Because why? Because I am God and where the... You know that verse about where the word of a king is, there's power? Where the word of God is, there's what? More mo power. More. Why? Because he says, I am God. I'm not a liar. Here's my word. This is what we're going to do. We're going to write it all down. And he goes, okay. I could could have just imagined. All right, Lord, another year. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Just send me early. He goes, I can't. It's not time, son. Calm down. You know how you get your kids and they get angsty to go? Calm down. And then finally, when the fullness come, he said, okay, go. And he goes. And he goes through and he lives a normal life. Normal birth. Gets over at the end and he's learning and he's growing and he's finding favor and he's doing and what he's learning and growing. And we're not going to have time to go through all the passages in John where he says, the, the doctrine that I speak is not my doctrine. It's the one that sent me. It's him who sent me and the Father. And he's communicating all this. And he goes to Calvary and he looks up there and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he cries, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'm not a man, I'm a worm. And he goes through all of that death. And you know what the Father says? Wherefore, God, I love that, also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of, ah, there it is. God the Father. You know what the Father does? You're exalted. And the exaltation of the future day when the Lord stands as the head over all things. In the heaven and in the earth. As that plan and purpose of Ephesians 1, verse 9 and 10, the mystery of the Father's will comes to a fruition, comes to reality. By the way, In God's mind, it's already done. That's the fantastic thing about it. You're already seated together in heavenly places. You're already there. Now, in our reality, it kind of stinks right now because it's hot, sticky. It's okay. Okay? I love that thing about looking for cooler weather. (laughs) Why? Because it stinks. But what what is our reality? We're already there. And he comes and he says, we've been highly exalted. I'm going to exalt you. Why? Because you chose to do what delighted me. And I didn't have to make you. Because what does an adult do? An adult son goes and does what the father is doing without being told to do it. He delights in what the Lord, what the father is doing. So in Ephesians 4, come back there and we'll close. Ephesians 4. When he descends, it is much more than just going to the grave. It's much more than just coming down. It's exactly what the Father had planned for him to do. He came. He's exalted far above all. He, came, he descended first. He took on the fashion and the form of man. He goes and he dies for man. Then he, verse 10, He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens. Then he's exalted. Why? that he may fill all things. And that's over in Colossians 1, 
where you go over there and you see him filling up the principalities and powers and the heavenly places, the thrones, the mights, the dominions, and he's using you and I. Let's go to Colossians 1. We'll close here. I'm sorry. Uh, you, you have to see this because, because the hinge point is right here in Colossians 1. Colossians 1.12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So we've been meet, qualified, to be partakers. But by who? By the Father. Who, the Father, hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. See what, how, see what He did? The Father's program said, we're going to take this bunch of ragtag people over here who trust you, and your activity, son, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless them with all spiritual blessings. I'm going to make them complete. And I'm going to move them. I'm going to translate them. I'm going to put them over here into my program. But watch verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. How can he do all that? It's because of his descent all the way to Calvary. It's because he humbled himself because of the thinking pattern of the Son to come and to honor and to obey and to do what the will and the word of the Father was all along. There's a reason why he would say, I've come but to nobody but the lost sheep of the house of Israel when he can see the Gentiles dying out there needing his help. As God, his heart would break, but as his job, he couldn't do that yet. we got to get this done here first. And you know what he said? The cross becomes the hinge of it all. The hinge of the descent, the hinge of the ascension, the hinge of the exaltation. Because man needs a redeemer, and he redeemed you. And you just simply have to trust him. Believing, You don't walk an aisle. You don't do a religious activity of any sort. You just, in the quietness of your own heart, trust Him. And the moment that happens, the Father takes you and blesses you and seals you. And then the Spirit takes you and puts you into the body. And He goes to work. And the Son comes into work. And the Father comes in. And you literally have the Godhead living and residing inside of you. That's fantastic. That's God's answer to all of the malarkey out there, is, is Calvary. And we would be do well to remember that and to, th and to say thank you and praise the Lord and hallelujah and to God be the glory. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the look here into Scripture to not only to see the mindset of our Savior, but to see the wonderful wisdom of your plan, all to the glory of God the Father. And we thank you for that. And we're honored to be entrusted with that message. In your name we pray. Amen.